Welcome to Watershed's December podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the head of programme here at Watershed. Food features prominently on the cinematic menu this month and apologies in advance for any delicious puns which may appear in the course of this podcast. This food theme is due to the release of the 80s classic Babette's Feast. Directed by Danish director Gabriel Axel, it is a beautifully observed paean to the healing power of food, self-sacrifice and friendship. The film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 1987 before going on to win the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film and many other accolades. It is an elegant and sumptuous cinematic experience. In many ways it prefigured and is an excellent example of the whole slow cinema, slow food movement. To accompany the reissue, our Sunday brunch season this month celebrates food on film with five films which all have a culinary inflected theme. We start with El Bulli, Cooking in Progress, a documentary portrait of the famed Spanish restaurant whose three-star chef, Ferran Adria, is widely considered the most innovative chef in the world. Louis Bunuel's surrealist satirical The Exterminating Angel from 1962, which centres on a group of bourgeois dinner party guests who find themselves unable to leave the dining room. What was a very refined eating experience turns into a revelation of their own pretensions and prejudices. Before he was one of America's foremost directors, Ang Lee was Taiwan's leading filmmaker. Eat, Drink, Man, Woman was the film which transported him to global fame. A retired chef cooks elaborate meals for his three rebellious daughters, whose sexual appetites are beginning to match their appetite for their father's food. The Italian film I Am Love features a brilliant central performance from Tilda Swinton, who marries into an aristocratic Milanese family but begins an affair with a younger man. The tradition of Italian family meals features prominently as the place where emotions and etiquette meet. The final film, Mid-August Lunch, again from Italy, and why wouldn't it be given that country's love of food? On a hot holiday weekend when Italians head out of the city, a middle-aged man finds himself stuck in a tiny flat with four demanding elderly women, including his mother. The essential bonding nature of food and wine become important elements in survival in this warm yet caustic comedy. Babette's Feast opens on 21st of December. The brunch season is on Sundays throughout December. Food and drink are clearly important elements in what we do and provide here at Watershed. And I am joined this month by our executive chef, Oliver Pratt, to discuss Watershed's approach in our cafe bar. First of all, Oliver, just quite interested in what got you into food and drink more than just simply something that happens on a regular basis. <laughs> It's something I've been thinking about quite a lot lately and I got some very clear memories going back to my early childhood. Some of it stems around flavour, some of it stems around creativity. Uh, I was very lucky to have parents who introduced me to a lot of different types of food. I always found food very enjoyable as a child. W what I've discovered in, in thinking about this is that there are some very key elements that totally fascinated me as a child that completely fascinate me now still and if I look at what those are it's got a lot to do with nature it's got a lot to do with chemistry it's got a lot to do with nutrition one of my first earliest memories of food is actually growing the food I had my own little veg plot you know sort of five or six years old I would grow the food and then of course I had the ability to go and cook it 
there are the elements, um, some of the elements that I found very interesting, which was the nature side of it, providing it, creating it, it was nutritious. But then actually being able to sort of go and cook it, uh, whether it's on a little fire outside or inside. Were there any chefs that were kind of influencing you? I mean, nowadays chefs are a real phenomenon, real personalities. You could definitely put it all down to my mother. Very creative, brilliant cook, always experimenting, always getting me involved in that side of things. I didn't really think about cooking as a career or any particular types of chefs at all until I was probably about 14. And then I was inspired very much so by Raymond Blanc. He was very much ahead of his time. He was walking around France in a market and he was literally grabbing hold of fresh fruit and vegetables that had literally come out of the field, you know, a few miles away. And he was sticking these pieces of vegetables right up his nose and yeah. sort of taking these massive inhalations and saying, oh, the smell, the feel, the look of this, you know. It's essential, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I guess there's a lot of distance from food now with, you know, the way food can be treated and packaged and processed and very, yep. can be very disconnected from the reality of where it comes from. Definitely in the last 15 years, we've been moving away from that. You know, that's why Raymond Blanc has been so successful in this country. And that's what that programme was about in the 80s, was he was saying, you have to move away from this processed system. Um, You've got to get back to the root of where the food is coming from. Does that connect into the plot to plate? um, Very much so. Approach that you've got going here at Watershed? Yeah, I mean, I think if we, again, if we look at that Raymond Blanc analogy, what he was saying then was, if you're picking the food as fresh as possible when it's in season, it's going to have the best flavour, it's going to have the best taste, the best texture. It's also going to be at its cheapest. Uh, you're going to be supporting your, you know, your local environment as well. And great chefs have been doing that for hundreds of years. It's just become far more fashionable. Watershed, very proud to say, was a bit ahead of its time before it became a big fashionable thing to do to be seasonable. But we recognised that it was something that needed to happen and adopted that. And, you know, I'm very honoured that I was the first chef to be able to take on that challenge and deliver. And I think inspirations like Raymond Blanc in those early days, growing my own food and cooking it, probably had a huge influence, but also it's probably the result why I got the job. With the plot to play, is that um, that what you're trying to do is source food locally, as close to watershed as possible from independent um, yeah. producers. Plot to plate, literally, if we take it as a direct translation, means from the plot on in the ground onto your plate. So as, as close as, the, as you can source that as possible. If we look at the sort of deeper meaning of, of plot to plate, the actual mission statement, we are the purchasers. We have a buying policy. We're in control of what is purchased and what isn't. So through a buying policy, we respect the land, uh, the animals on the land and the people who work the land. You know, we try and avoid anything with chemical inputs at all. And we try and support our local economy and environment by buying local. Everything we do in the cafe bar is analysed as to how far it's coming from, which particular part of Britain. Between 60 and 70% is definitely coming from with 30, 40 miles. And I guess what you're hoping from that is that the audience is buying into that um, ethos as I well. I think they do. I think Bristol's very proud of, of being Bristol. I think Bristol's very proud of being in the southwest. I think people really recognise that we need to be responding environmentally, you know, in a positive way. And what we've seen as a result of taking on Plot to Plate and making it work and happen 
is that the customers have rewarded us by you know supporting us really uh, coming in eating the food appreciating it and I think the move that we made was very significant at, at the beginning of recession as well but what we actually managed to deliver was tastier food and more nutritious. Mm. And the same for the drinks as well. There's more real ales. There's, yeah. there's actually a, an English champagne. Tell us, tell so us we about have English that. champagnes. We have some English gin, um, which is not unusual at all, but also some English vodka. You know, there's definitely been a food revolution and a food trend happening in Britain in the last 15 years. We've seen it move through seasonal food, baking, the new movement is definitely in brewing and distilling. Five years ago, it was hard to get a seasonal calendar and I made my own. Today, there's over 100 on the web. Five years ago, locating craft beer, really good quality craft beer from your local environment. So these are like microbreweries? And microbreweries and everything yeah. else. It was just starting to happen. The turning point for me was being able to buy an English lager. Ales was still a very English thing. You could still buy locally from Arbor Ale as, a, as an example. But the day that I managed to find an English lager, uh, which we buy from the Cotswold Brewing Company, was a real distinctive change, change in what's happening. Because it's just not a tradition of it at all. Correct, yeah. yeah. All of our lagers were coming from the continent, which again, obviously, is having to travel some distance, usually by lorry and then by boat. Uh, some stuff's flown in. And, you know, one of the parts of the plot to play is, is to reduce fuel miles. So if we can do that as well... You know, again, we're helping the environment. One of the things <clears throat> that we've been working on here and trying to do at Watchard is build the relationship between cinema audiences and cafe bar. This month with Babette's Feast in the brunch season is one direct sort of yeah. example because the film's themes are food-related. But there have been others that we've been doing. First of all, I think it's great that we've become distinctive for our food. Tying things up like Babette's Feast with the cafe bar is fantastic. It's been five years working through this process. We've built a really good foundation in the culture of our own food, which has given us some flexibility. And as a result of that, when we put on the Marley week... That was the Bob Marley documentary and we did a, a season around... We took an inspiration from that and put on some Caribbean specials. There was always a goal of mine was to start having some guest chefs come and work for Watershed. I didn't know anything about Caribbean food at all. And Esme Davis, one of the key Caribbean chefs, she was on Jamie's tour of Britain. She's also mother of Jules Davis, who works very closely with St Paul's Carnival and everything else. So she's a real key figure in Bristol. Esme very, very kindly came and gave me a lot of advice and help. And she was just really inspirational. So um, she, she came in. She came in, in we talked, we talk, spent talk, two or three yeah sessions together she brought in personal recipes for me she advised me on products and where i could get them from i invited her and her family in for a meal we had cooked as an inspiration of what she'd given us and it, it was very very successful and i think what what happened with the audience is they love something a bit different a bit unusual you know what, what could not be better than coming and watching a bob marley film or a caribbean and then walking out into a cafe bar and actually tasting, tasting some of that culture. So not only are you seeing it and feeling it and hearing it, but then you can actually involve yourself a little bit deeper. We also had the Jamaican sound system in the cafe. We did, yeah. So yep. You could also feel the music. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, that was a fantastic little party as well, yep. wasn't it? You know, so it's really bringing the whole of Watershed in together. 
and and again with Africa Eye um, on the menu, I noticed some yep. some fantastic um, definitely African definitely. So the, I think the Caribbean specials paved another layer on the foundation for me. We've done three African styled events now in the kitchen. The first was the very first Africa Eye we did. The second was when we were hosting space for the Kenyan Olympic team. And then most recently, the Africa Eye week that's just passed. With this final Africa Eye, we can see an accumulation of expertise and knowledge. This foundation that I talk about that allows us to be more flexible. It was such an easy thing to do. We knew where to source things, where to buy things from. We had a couple of African chefs in the kitchen and we pretty much just looked at the cuisine we wanted to create and then ran it on our specials board. Again, you know, the, the public really, really engaged with that to the point that we just kept selling out. Uh, we couldn't make enough. I learned some new cooking techniques, which is always interesting, and which we incorporate back into the kitchen. And on the Christmas menu, we will see African-style ribs as a light bite, which again was an inspiration from the Africa Eye Week. Finally, what can um, people that come to Watershed expect over the next couple of months? Watershed being Watershed, we're always evolving, always changing, always trying to listen to the customer. So the current thing that we have going on at the moment is the Cine Bites, which is a fantastic meal deal, if you like, of a cinema ticket and food and drink, all for £15. That, again, is joining everything up together. You can come watch a film, you can move into the space, enjoy the social space of the cafe bar. Enjoy the local wine, beer. You know, we've got three choirs, wine from Gloucestershire, superb white wine, Arbor Ales, Cotswold Lager. Try any of our fantastic food as well. With the meal deal, we're running curries, cassoulets and stews. Very wintry theme. And that's proved a big success. Uh, again, it keeps selling out. On the 5th of December, we will be launching the new winter Christmas menu. Again, all the menus, you know, seasonal menus, so four times a year constructed from seasonal food, sourcing, you know, 90% from the Southwest. Sounds fantastic. So lots for audiences to get involved with and also to feedback, because that's another thing is that you really welcome feedback. Yeah, I think the public feel that they not only have a right, but also have the opportunity to talk to us, engage with us and feedback. Yeah, I think Cotswold Lager is a great example where somebody scribbled on a post-it note you need to check out this company. And they were a brand new company, just started brewing. And as a result, we now stock them. But yeah, everything the customer says we take seriously. We can't please all the people all the time, but we'll certainly listen and have a try. Great. Well, thanks very much, Oliver. And um, lots of, dare I say, rich pickings <laughs> there. And that's all for this month's podcast.